Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's weird how they just like Rolling just squirm out of it. Is it going to be Welcome to Alter a Lens. This is the podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Vanya. And I'm Eric. And this is an action-packed episode full of teenage street gangs and bank robbers. We're going to introduce you to a late 50s TV show all about a freelance photographer played by a youngish Charles Bronson. We'll also be talking to Jaya Bhatt about Policon San Francisco and his new zine. We've got a book review and a zine review, uh, some potentially good advice on slumping and a whole bunch more. But first, Vanya, how the hell are you? <laughs> going through the motions just like everybody else. <laughs> it seems like my bootstraps were broken off by pulling them up so many damn times. But I have repaired them and they seem to be doing much better. Okay. I've had, I would say, a couple interesting weeks. Okay. And a lot of twists and turns. Ooh. and I mean, nothing like terrible, but, you know, just... Just whatever, you know? It, it can't be interesting all the time. No. Uh, what I have been up to photography, like photography related, I would say, is um, picked up my Nikonos 2 for the first time, which seemed like it had been months and months. And shot a roll through that, which was really fun. It was a low ISO, 6 ISO, and um, guess what? <laughs> Pictures <laughs> came out kind of blurry. Oh, no. Weird. That's shocking. <laughs> yeah. So I think I... I need to use this camera a little bit more. I really do adore that camera so much. And just because I have the Pentax doesn't mean that I'm going to stop shooting with it. I have plenty of 35. I really should continue to shoot with that camera as much as possible. So I will continue that. Yeah. I also lost a roll of um, mom emulsion. Oh, no. Kodak Gold? Yes, exactly. Where did it go? Yeah, I do not know. I had loaded it in my Vivitar, and I remember specifically rewinding the camera and taking it out. Okay. have no idea where it is. It is freaking gone. I have looked everywhere. I swear it's like gone. Are you sure you didn't develop it and forgot you developed it? Maybe, but I don't think so. No, because it was like roller – it was – I – had that in my pocket when I the last like couple times I've been roller skating and I don't have any roller skating pictures. <laughs> okay. So is it is it possible that it fell out during roller skating? Maybe. Okay. Possibly. All right. So, so maybe Kiki will find it and develop <laughs> and develop it and post it on Instagram so I can find it. I wonder what happened with that by the way. So maybe someone will find it. Maybe. It'll come back to me I at some so. point. <laughs> yeah, I was really excited about that role. Uh, it was the first role that I shot through that camera. Jack uh, Johnson actually gave me that camera. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was just something like he had sent me with some film holders like a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I've been meaning to shoot with it. So it's just great. It's like, pff, it weighs nothing. It's like air. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, you know what? I need to start just shooting with all my cameras. <laughs> It's a good policy to have. They are meant to be shot. Got to exercise. So the last two roles that I developed were eh, not so great. So I just kind of feel like I'm out of practice. I don't know. Just kind of a little bit in a funk, which will make sense because I did help write a segment about being in a slump. So we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, My rent also went up. So that's fucking great. (laughs) Yeah, everything's going down except for rent. That's lovely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So surprise, my rent just went up, up. 
pretty substantial amount. So that's going to be fantastic. Ah. And also around this time, I had taken my Volvo to get fixed so it could pass smog. And I just wanted to update everybody that the Volvo still will not pass smog. So Okay, so it's been about a year. There I am. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it is actually a Texas – it was a Texas car, so the catalytic converter or whatever was in there was not like – you know, California grade. So we've been trying to get it. So it will. <laughs> this is like an 80 what Volvo? 1982. 82. Yeah. Not exactly made to pass smog. No. Yeah. And so they like basically anything newer than 1975 has to pass smog. Okay. And that is a pain in the ass. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet it is. That's like my daily driver. That's my beach car. You know, if there's sand in it, it's totally fine. It's ugh. I'm so sad. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want I'm, it back. I'm sure it'll happen. I hope so. Okay. So that's basically what's been happening the past couple of weeks. How about you? What have you been up to? God, I'm up to my eyeballs and ECN2 kits. <laughs> I've just been yeah, doing that. So many ECN2 kits that I'm just, just spending all of my time putting chemicals in bags. Yes. In your underwear in a trailer in the desert. Oh, of course. Naturally. <laughs> naturally. Uh, so if you're wondering, like, well, how these are made, it's literally me sitting at a desk listening to podcasts or watching something on the computer. I'm just sitting here and loading and loading and loading. That's all I do. I've also been getting ready for the third issue of In This Land. It is at the printer and is apparently on its way to me. So I don't know what I'm doing to get ready. I'm just sort of waiting for it. It's pretty easy to get ready for a zine to show up. You, you do just wait. I'm still doing the Seattle project of trying to get the Shamani working for me, I guess. But I've also been doing handheld stuff in Seattle. I've been posting a little bit of that on Instagram. So you can check that out if you want. I've been doing some retro pan 320 in sheets. And mm-hmm. wow, I love that emulsion. What camera are you using handheld? I am using the Graflex Crown Graphic handheld. Yes, with an old ass lens on it. And is that the original lens or did you add that lens? I think it's a lens from one of the really early Graflexes from like the 19 teens or 1920s or whenever they first came out with the the handheld little folding Graflexes. Mm -hmm. So that's I'm using that lens. It's a Steinhall angst mat or something. I don't know how to pronounce words. Also, I tried a little bit of still life. <gasps> yeah, you did. I posted that as well. I have the, the cactus with the blooming flower. Yes. And I tried that with the RB cycle camera that I got mm-hmm. recently that I talked a little bit about. The camera is so small, it could fit on a cycle, a bicycle. And that's just not true. Uh, and I also did it in the Graflex again. So I've been using the Graflex and the new Fulmer and Schwinn, new, like 100-year-old Fulmer and Schwinn, <laughs> just uh, to see what, ha- what I can do with it. Lastly, I've been watching a lot of old TV, which we will get to. Yeah, yeah, we have. Yeah, Eric always seems to get me to watch these old shows. I do, I do. I watched the entire first season of Man with a Camera. So we will get to that momentarily. So the best part, answering machine. We got to check it. It's been a while. Let's see how many messages we got. And we do this every episode. Has it really been a while? <laughs> has it? I mean, it's been two weeks, right? It has been two technically. weeks. Yeah, technically two weeks. <laughs> so the, the question we asked people to call in, and that means leave a voice message on DMs and Instagram. What is the most unique thing you've done with the plastic containers that 35 millimeter film comes in? 
We got a lot of replies. Nine, I believe. Ooh, how exciting. It is, it's very exciting. So if you could, please. <laughs> yes. Push the button. Hello. No one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Howdy. This is Jack Bulkley, refocusing photography on Instagram. My example only uses a couple of plastic film canisters, but it is unusual. I put some cotton balls dipped in petroleum jelly in a canister to use as a fire starter when camping. These are particularly good with a matchless magnesium starter. When you shave off the magnesium, it sticks to the jelly instead of mixing with the dirt. The ever-present dirt when you are camping. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like waterproof because it's sealed up nice and perfect. Yeah. It's kind of ingenious, isn't it? Yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how people (laughs) normally do fire starters. I know that there's, you know, the cotton balls and and petroleum jelly, but I don't know how they keep it. And baggies, maybe? I don't know. But this, that that sounds, that works. That works. So pre-pandemic, when everybody did more traveling, I always thought those containers were perfect for making your own, like, travel-sized toiletry kit, or if you wanted to bring your whole skincare regimen without checked luggage. I always thought they were great for that. Or if you're like a hot sauce person and you just want to bring your hot sauce with you wherever you go. Or if you're a gourmand and you want to bring your travel salt and sprinkle it like Salt Bay in Olive Garden. I also thought, you know, it's great for an instant trip to Flavortown. (laughs) But a birdie, a little birdie also told me those are actually perfect for pre-portioning your like shrubs for like one or two gram doses so if you want to go on a different trip responsibly of course i think those would also work really great for that i i love travel and i've i've used these for toiletry kits and never hot sauce and i don't do a lot of gardening so Mm -hmm. i haven't used it for any any kind of shrubbery (laughs) gardening well, if you ever go hiking and find some mystery mushrooms, you might want to, you know. Oh, I don't know. Oh, if you get bit by like a spider, you could put the spider inside one of those and take it with you. Why? So they can bite me some more? I know, right? <laughs> You've got some great ideas. It's terrible. In February 2018, I went to White Sands National Monument, as it was known at the time, and I uh, laid down in the gypsum sand and made a sand angel and got uh, sand all in my shoes and in my coat. And I used a 35 millimeter plastic container to put the sand that was stuck in my coat and my shoes in that container, and I still have it today. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like it too. I mean, getting little like soil or sand samples is kind of like a memento for where you've visited is is good. I mean, maybe illegal to do at a national <laughs> monument or park, but you know, I'm not going to tell anybody if you don't. Hey guys, this is Neil Piper, Neil underscore Piper on Instagram. On the subject of 35 millimeter plastic film pots, I've recently found out that some homeless shelters take them to dispense shampoo and conditioner and the like to people in need. So that's currently what I'm doing, collecting them all up, putting them in a box, and I'm going to send them on down to a homeless shelter nearby. Cheers. 
Ooh. Yeah, I had never heard that actually. That's really cool. Yeah. I don't know if it's a, a UK thing or a US thing as well, or what they do for that. I'm sure that was definitely a thing in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I wonder. I should find out and see, you know, in downtown if I could find a place that would take them. Yeah. I like it. Hi, Eric and Vanya. This is Brandy on Kauai. And I have um, a little thing to share about using foam canisters. Um, Don't tell the USPS, (laughs) but I have used them to send little succulent cuttings to someone in California. You just put a teeny bit of dirt and some um, red cinder and then put your little cutting inside, put the lid on, poke a hole in it, and you can send it. It's like a little incubator. Mm. I know that the ones that I sent have been growing happily in their new home in California all the way from Hawaii. So that's how I used my foam canisters. Thanks. Love it. Yes. And so far, we've got a bunch of federal crimes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I I love succulents so much. It's just a cutting. Everybody needs to calm down. It's not like she's, like, killing all the plants. She just took a cutting of it. That's it. Now, we haven't had a ton of women call in for the answering machine, but we have three of them this episode. All all three are are bragging about (laughs) their crimes. (laughs) Hats off, ladies. We appreciate you more than you'll ever know. Hey, guys. This is Jason Beaner. Just Jason Beaner on Instagram. As you guys probably know, I shoot a lot of weird old-size film, like 122, 116, all that kind of crazy stuff. Uh, The most interesting thing I've done with a 35mm plastic film canister is use it to make an adapter for my plastic film reels so I can use it to develop this weird old-size film. Um, It doesn't work great, but it works good enough to get results. So, yeah, um, keep up the good job and have a good day. I'd love to know how Mm. it doesn't work, because it does sound interesting. I want to see a picture of it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't quite get how he's adapting it, but it doesn't seem to work all that well. So <laughs> it's interesting. I want to see it. Yeah. I want to know what it looks like. You'll have to send us some pictures just to understand a little bit more. But mm. also, film photographers are just so fucking savvy and badass, and they're like, mm, "I'm gonna do. I, I know what I can use this for." <laughs> I love that. If you're not familiar with electronics, especially hobby radio or audio electronics, there's a basic electrical component, a fundamental thing called an inductor, which essentially is a coil of wire that sets up a certain relationship between the electric and magnetic fields that are formed when current flows through the wire. One of the simplest classic old school circuits that's relatively easy for a hobbyist to build is a radio receiver that can pick up, say, AM broadcast stations or a transmitter that can send low power radio signals out into the air. Building circuits like this in the old school way often involves hand winding an inductor coil using very thin wire around a suitable support, and plastic film containers provide an excellent form for doing so. I've done this, but the idea came to my head because I'm in the process of helping my kids get set up to build a transmitter of their own. Look up the Michigan Mighty Might project if this is even remotely interesting to you and 73. How fun! <laughs> I'm totally looking it up. <laughs> Wow. Oh, cool. I do see how they're using it. Oh, that's interesting. Sorry. Hey, Eric and Vanya. This is James at J-E-V-Har on Instagram. I like to make pinhole cameras, uh, anamorphic pinhole cameras out of the 35 millimeter canisters. And uh, you just 
you know, poke a hole or drill a hole in the top and put a piece of film in there. It makes a nice little pocketable one-shot, point-and-shoot, surrealistic camera that you can take and do weird things with. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't... So mid. <laughs> it's like just... Yeah, ridiculous. I don't get it, but yeah, that sounds kind of cool. So is he taking a clipping and putting like a piece of 35 millimeter film inside yes. or is he putting a piece of paper in there? I don't know, but it does, mm. I would assume a piece of 35 millimeter film. I'm so not, sick. Yeah, it is. It's very sick. Hey, this is Jeff Greenstein, S. Jeff Greenstein on Instagram. I dream of cameras on Instagram. You were asking about what we do with the <laughs> plastic film canisters. When I was a kid, what I used to do was I would take the gray cap and pack it with baking soda, and then I would take the black container part and fill it with vinegar, and then very carefully snap the two halves together, shake it, throw it, and it would explode in midair beautifully. A bomb. That's what I did with them. <laughs> yeah out of all of the ones that we've heard today this is the one i really really want to try yeah yeah, yeah seriously yeah absolutely i'm so doing this yeah i've got I'm a so lot of baking soda and i've got a lot of vinegar there's really no reason that i'm not doing this right now okay so you're shaking you're it, you shake it up. it up and then you release it before it blows up in your hand, I guess? I guess that's trial and error. <laughs> sure, sure. Maybe I'll have Marley do it. <laughs> it's a, it sounds like a great project for Marley, yes. <laughs> I like that one. Can we do that one? Let's do that one later. Oh, okay. Okay, so I guess we should probably answer this for ourselves. Vanya. Yes. What do you got for us? Mine's pretty pretty standard, which is odd because no one actually called in and said it. So thank you. No, I can say it. <laughs> okay. I used to put my weed. I used to put my weed in those things <laughs> when I, you know, in high school. And I remember one time a cop taking one of the film canisters from me. Oh. I wasn't in trouble. He just took it. Okay. So I'm sure he had a nice lunch break. I don't know. This is Northern California. He was just like, give me that kid. You know, I'm like, <laughs> oh, gosh, okay. Um, also, I I do have a cicada shell in my car, and it's in a, like, clear Fuji one. Oh, right. That's the one that we found in Kansas over the summer. Yeah. So it had crawled out of the ground and thought my tire was a tree and decided to like shed its skin and the bot. It's just the weirdest thing. I've never actually seen a the shell of a cicada. It's weird how they just like just squirm out of it. That was the first time you saw an exoskeleton of yes. a cicada. Really? Yes. It was odd. It was weird. Okay. So I kept it. I have it still in my car. Um, sometimes I tell people to open it and look inside. Oh, my God. It's terrifying. <laughs> wow. You're such an ass. <laughs> it's basically like a bug collector for me. I like to like collect bugs. Okay. So like any kind of small jar or anything, I put bugs in it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. See, that's where the spider thing came from. It's the bug thing. I'm like, ooh, I could put a spider in it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. Tell us your story. Well, okay. I, I don't really do I don't really do much of anything at all with them. So I have a story. In fourth grade, we had for some reason, and I don't understand why this was a thing. We had some members of the Future Farmers of America (FFA). They came into our class, and they gave us each a film container with some milk and some salt. 
and had us shake it for like 30 minutes while they told us all about cows and they made toast. So after about a billion hours, we had what they insisted was butter. After passing out the toast, we poured the butter onto the bread and essentially drank it. <laughs> and that's my 35 millimeter canister story. So Fourth grade. Fourth huh? grade. Yeah, I learned all about making salty milk. <laughs> felt a bit of a photography slump. I have noticed I can get really down on myself, and the interesting part is I get down on myself when I get a good picture, mostly because I don't ever feel like I can live up to it or top it. You I remember you talking to me about the Birdwell photos that you've been posting recently that have been getting like <laughs> yes. a ridiculous amount of likes. It's really, really wonderful. Yeah, like quadruple the amount I usually get, yeah. so it's just been weird. So it's yeah. kind of a double-edged sword for you. First of all, Girls, okay. surfing, yeah. surfboards, ocean, you know, California. Makes sense. It, it does. Yeah. It's a perfect recipe. <laughs> but it's also a perfect recipe for putting you in a little bit of a funk. Yes, it does. It does because it kind of makes me rethink like, okay, well, do I need to be photographing differently or do I stick to what I'm doing? And I think I just get in my head yeah. a lot. Yeah, I, that's happened with me with the some of the photos I took in eastern Washington with the big skies and, and the clouds. People love those, but can't always take those. And you no, get, you're not always there. Yeah, you just get a little down. Like, these are great, but the other ones I have, they're really not. So <laughs> what do we do here? <laughs> I mean, that's not a great position to be in. No, and I think a lot of people feel maybe not specifically the way that I felt about, you know, the situation, but I know that we all kind of get into our slumps. So I think it would just be nice to kind of share a few tips of things we can do when we feel this way. Uh, these days are not easy just to take off. Most of us are stuck in the same vicinity as our homes during the, uh, the pandemic. I'm so tired of saying that word. No far off tropical places, no plane ride, just drivable distance away yeah. for the most part. Even if you have shot the same damn or bridge car on the street for the millionth time. How do you make it different? Essentially, what will inspire you to not do that anymore? So let's talk about like some things that can maybe help you get out of your slump. So I would say, obviously, social media, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Flickr, or other social media platforms can really like help with inspiration. Uh, maybe see how other people have shot it if and if they have. Uh, what can you do different from everyone else's photos? Are you getting the most out of your film you are using? Maybe pushing or pulling, developing. Something else that you could like experiment with is filters for instance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, going into like a kind of a down slump is a good time to experiment. You're not necessarily yes. taking pictures of anything you're looking to share with the world, but you can maybe hone your skills a little bit. I would say so. Yeah. Also, there's... <sighs> A lot of amazing people in this film community that are extremely helpful and maybe just reaching out and finding out like, hey, like, I really like how you shot this film. Like, what did you do? Or how did you do it? You know, what what am I doing differently here? You know, because yeah. some people will be like, oh, yeah, okay. I, like, people get really specific. Like, this is how I do it. You know, talk with people. I think there's a lot of people that feel the same way you do. They are very super helpful people oh, God, yeah. that would love yeah. to tell you how they adore and love us specific film. So reach out. And on the other side of that, if someone reaches out to you, help them. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> help them. And maybe more than like a word or two or a line or two. 
know, be with them, help them a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what else we got? We got we got social media. What zines. Else? Zines. Zines are amazing. I've noticed how excited I get when I get people's zines. Like, oh my gosh, look at what people are doing. It's just like so much imp- inspiration. Like, what what are people shooting right now? Yeah, uh, supporting other photographers and seeing what they're putting out there is just great in general. Like, obviously for the community and to help you know support them and show them like I'm on their team, which is really fun too. Listening to music paintings, basically any kind of art you can consume will always uh, help with creativity. I think so. Yeah. And it's, it's something, there's something different about having a, a zine in your hand, you know, rather than the phone we're all used to looking at photos on our phones, but having it printed on a zine, even the still a fairly small format, there's a different connection that we have to. It. And I think we can be influenced in probably different ways than we would be just like smashing that like button. Yeah, of course. And I think a lot of people feel that way in the analog community because they aren't shooting digital or they are, but they are shooting film for a different purpose. Yeah. So a lot of people get inspired by challenges, different photo challenges, mm-hmm. weekly challenges, things like that. That's not for me. I'm, I've never really been able to do that. But what I do is I have projects. I'm very project oriented and I have a lot of ideas for projects, probably more ideas than I have time to make projects. But all of my projects go through Vanya. I have a person in my life who I can <laughs> talk to about projects and she can shoot them down and kind of say, eh, you can do better. Or, and usually- No, I no. never do that. I'm always like- But you could. Team Eric. She's all, <laughs> I could if I wanted to. She is- I, what I'm saying is that I really value her thoughts and her opinions on them. And projects have really changed based on those things. And I think for the better, because mm-hmm. you have somebody who you can trust implicitly with, you know, who who has your photographic well-being, whatever the fuck that is, in mind <laughs> when you're talking to them about these projects. And they don't get tired of hearing about the projects, even if you get tired of talking about them, which I honestly, I never do. I never got I tired. mean, we do a film photography podcast together. So yeah, this is basically like what we do. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about film photography. I'm super into it. <laughs> but she definitely, based on her level of interest or excitement is w- what makes me decide whether to go through with something or not. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm constantly like throwing crazy ideas at you too. You are. You're a- yeah, I wish you would do much more of them. I know, I know. I'm, I'm just like full of ideas, but sometimes it's just ideas. But write them down. Yeah. Keep them around. Sometimes things inspire you at certain times. They do. And, and sometimes you you have these big ideas, but also sometimes it's the small ideas. It's the small things that happen yes. that, that inspire, like the very specific things. Like yeah. the morning light. You know, if I see the morning light come through, there's something mm-hmm. there. I was like, ooh, I, sh- I need to go out and shoot. Okay. So say you take your walk and you're like, oh my God, I've photographed this place a hundred times. But is it because you're only there in the morning? Are you going in the afternoon? How about night? How about yeah, some how night about photography? Some how about some like, there's like different, even just going at a different time of the day, uh, seeing what the sun looks like in the wintertime compared to the summertime. Yeah, you know? it's true. Do you need a bright sunny day for pops of color? Do you need to shoot it with Ektar 100? Or maybe you need some like black and white film because the clouds are moody as fuck and you got some cool storm coming through. 
Yeah. I think when it comes down to it, having a notebook for inspirational things, words, ideas is a good idea if you're a photographer. I think just any kind of art form, I think it's always good to like take a moment to write some stuff down. I know that sometimes, and I'm very, very fucking guilty of this, I will think of a really cool idea and then I'll be like, what was that idea? I totally forgot. You'll come to me saying, I thought of this really amazing idea. Like, oh, what was it? I don't remember. So maybe the best thing for inspiration is just writing it the fuck down. Yeah. 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 We're giving a call to one of the kindest and most supportive film photographers you'll ever meet. He's put out a few zines, he's dabbled in cyanotypes, and is even running a demo at Policon San Francisco this year. Let's give it the hell up for Jayabat. Let's give him a call. Hello there. How's it going? Hey, hey. <laughs> it is, <laughs> thumbs up from Vanya. It is going very well. Thank you. Cool. Great to talk to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> are, you, are you a little worried about us chatting like this? Because the... the Last time we chatted, <laughs> the world basically collapsed the day after. Um, Seriously. Yeah, the last time we talked was Policon in San Francisco. So it's been a year since then. What have you been up to? I've actually been pretty creative this, this year. Learned to develop black and white film. I think partly thanks to you, you your inspirations. Oh, wow. Something I've been meaning to do exactly. for years and years and years, but never quite got around to. But Yeah, I've been seeing some cool like experiments with some really old film as well. Yeah, I've always, like, I, I love going to flea markets and, you know, you, you find old cameras and they have film in them. And sometimes you find film that's expired, which, you know, I, I, I basically buy any film I find, whether it's shot or not. And sometimes you fi find rolls of film that are very old that have been shot already. I just kind of put them in a bag in my fridge and they sat there for sometimes few, a few years. And now figured out how to develop. Uh, there was one role I think I did last year that had some really great photos of a little girl on a tricycle and on oh, a swing. Yeah. And I, I'm one of the things I, I I do is I collect found photographs like uh, snapshots that you find at flea markets in bins. I sit there and go through them all. It's really sad that these photos have been discarded by somebody. They're no longer important to to, to whoever had them. Yeah. You know, at the time they were taken, these were important memories of family and friends, and they've just been dumped. Dozens and bins of these things, and uh, I'm. I will make a zine out of them at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you imagine, you know, your photos, Eric or Vanya, like in, in 50 years time, sitting in a bin in a flea market, you know, just, it's just so sad. Well, they'd get more circulation there than they do now. <laughs> so I might be okay with that. Yeah. You know what? Actually, that means I printed it. So good job, yeah. Vanya. <laughs> Policon San Francisco is happening this year, but yeah. it's been moved online. Like a lot of, con like a lot of conventions and all of that have been. Yeah. So what's in store for the weekend in general? Well, yeah, there'll be a lot of a lot of yeah, like you said, online things, presentations, interviews. One of the things that's going to happen is uh, a friend of mine here from the Bay Area, although she now lives in New Mexico, Megan Smallwood made a, a PRX documentary called "Shake It: A Modern Polaroid Love Story." She made that a few years ago. It was broadcast on a lot of NPR stations all over the country. Oh, cool! But she's going to have a, a talk about that. Um, you can listen to that on SoundCloud, by the way. Oh, okay. I'm so excited. Cool. There's going to be an interview with uh, Tracy Storer, who does 20 by 24 Polaroids. 
Oh, wow. Okay. My friend Kent, who's one of our little local group, he's going to do it. He makes these amazing zines out of Instax photos. He basically makes these little concertina books out of the actual, in, you know, they're one of a kind yeah. out of the actual Instax photos. So oh, he's going to do a demo on that. I'm going to be doing a little demo on uh, using uh, Instax photos in uh, odd, basically non-Instax cameras. Okay. So talk a little bit about that then. The first thing I did was uh, from one of my brownie cameras, my box brownie cameras, took two spools, some backing paper, just enough backing paper just to go around the back, spool to spool, so it was tight. In a dark bag, stuck an unexposed Instax piece of film on that backing paper, put it in the camera, shoot the photo, put it back in the dark bag, take the Instax out again, put it in an Instax pack, back in the Instax camera, in the dark, fire it off so it exposes and then you you get an instax photo with a brownie and yeah you're basically I, using the the camera as a processor the, yes. the actual instax camera becomes the processor one of the things i've been messing around with 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 this using instax mini is you get you know you get your, your photograph split into two did a little portrait of, of my daughter with this with yeah, three I different portraits it. and so beautiful juggled around the uh juggled around the pairs so they're kind of random i'm gonna <laughs> try to do a bit more of that probably my favorite in, uh, instant camera is is the big shot and and yes. uh, so running out of pack film i've got a few packs of pack film left but at some point there's going to be no more pack film and this is a way I can continue to use my big shot. Yes. So what's the big shot? The camera made famous by Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Um, he used it a lot. It's a fixed focus. So you focus basically by walking, you know, it's got one focal length. So okay. you move back and forth. till you focus on it. He uses flash cubes to light it and it takes pack film. It's a very odd looking camera. It's all plastic. My original <laughs> one, which I think you saw at Policon, Mm-hmm. shattered in my bag That's on right. the way to <laughs> yes. so uh um, i was very sad about that but uh once my friend like my friend brian made this adapter and i realized i could continue to use a big shot i bought another big shot they're, they're, they're fairly cheap on ebay yeah mm-hmm. this is the thing about instant film people uh, like analog people in general are amazing and creative but instant film people are their own like set of awesome creative because you have to really think out even more outside of the box if you want to continue to shoot instant film so i salute i salute you all (laughs) (laughs) you've recently been posting some cyanotypes some pretty interesting ones i was was kind of interested in wanting it was one of the things in the back of my mind that i wanted Mm -hmm. to do was alternative process stuff i mean i saw a video on youtube on 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 salt prints and i really really wanted to do that but i don't really have a dark room space so it's couldn't really do that but then i saw cyanotypes and it seemed like that was a really easy way to kind of get started and so this summer i you know again in lockdown started messing around with that and it just kind of sort of took hold with our little group and you do cyanotypes you can use negatives and and i've done some of that and flowers and recently i started messing around doing cyanotypes on bits of printed page you know mm-hmm. like newsprint or yeah i saw that it's really from old books mean. yeah but just trying to cur- keep the creative juices flying doing odd things coloring some cyanotypes i colored with some watercolor some cyanotypes i did of my daughter and son <laughs> what what led to that that's interesting what led to that well with uh first off first thing i did was i t- i got some cyanotypes and i tinted them i stained them with tea hmm. and then i tried one with beet juice which was a bit you know it was red and it kind of looked good but it was a bit pale and then i thought well i just you know my, my wife's a painter she's got shitloads of paint hmm. And I was like, okay, well, I took one of them, which was kind of a failure, and I just kind of splashed some watercolor paint on it to see what it looked like. And I thought it was kind of cool. So I might do a bit more of that. 
plain cyanotypes that they're they're, it, they're cool, but after a while, it's just like you know. Yeah, they do end up looking a little samey if you're not uh, if you're not switching it up a bit. <laughs> so you you have you have lived in San Francisco for a few decades, right? Yeah, since January 1986. What have you noticed? I mean, because you've been photographing the city probably for quite some time. Uh, what have you seen change in the city? Well, I think like most cities, they've become you know gentrified and and changed. You know the. San Francisco, especially because of the, the the tech industry, you know, we have all the tech companies, Facebook, Google, mm-hmm. Pinterest, Apple, they're all in the Bay Area. So a lot of people came to San Francisco to work at those companies um, in, and, you know, changed the city in a huge way by forcing rents up, driving the artists out, you know, things that were artist studios and photography studios became lofts for, for techies. Mm-hmm. So that kind of... A little bit of the bohemian part of San Francisco kind of sort of kind of sort of died. I, I, I mean, I think it's a similar story in a lot of cities, but uh, yeah. definitely here. Um, mm-hmm. Although now um, there's a massive tech and the massive exodus of these people because all these companies are now, you know, you don't need to go work in the office anymore. You can work from wherever you want. So a lot of people are leaving and going to places where they can live a different lifestyle, a cheaper lifestyle. So, so you know, hopefully maybe some of that old San Francisco is is going to come back. You know, I haven't really been photographing. It's funny. I mean, I've been on and off interested in photography for a long, long time, but I didn't really get serious about it until 10, 12 years ago. And that did start off as as photographing the city. I was, uh, I've always been interested in history and I, you know, would love looking at old photos of old San Francisco and, and oh, it would, yeah. it'd be great. Like it's kind of got this bug in my, in my head about photographing San Francisco in, I think it was in 2009. I wanted to photograph the San Francisco that my kids new hmm, yeah the the places we would hang out in the places they liked the places the things we would do just just as a kind of a document for for them mm-hmm. to remember the city you know oh, and, and it, just, it just kind of went it went from there it just i just got really into photography again and that's where it all started and got me going i found my dad's old camera and and was like oh but you know rescued that from from my mom and i was like oh <laughs> i should put a film roll a film in that <laughs> so we have to ask what the camera is it's a it's a Zeiss Icon Contina. It's okay. not a particularly, particularly great camera, but um, it's a f- camera he got before he met my mom. So in mm-hmm. in the late fifties or the early sixties, and all the photos of me as a kid, and you know my mom and dad's honeymoon, and all taken with this camera. Your yeah. new zine parked <laughs> is out. Yeah, uh, this thing is huge. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Well, describe it, I guess, and like what what brought about the idea. Fifty six pages, which is probably like three normal zines that I make, but yeah. uh, <laughs> it's photos of cars and trucks and scooters and carts and taken around mostly in San Francisco, but there's a there's a few other places. I mean, it started with just you know just wandering around the city, taking finding things that looked interesting. You know, you, my usual thing: if it looks interesting, I'll take a photo of mm-hmm. it, and then. All of a sudden, I realized I had quite a few car photos, and I was like, maybe I can make something out of this. So <laughs> then I started looking for car photos, and then before you knew it, I had hundreds and hundreds of car photos. <laughs> the way that you 
laid it out. It's very uniform in a way. Like even though the colors are a little different and obviously the cars are different, there is something that just it just goes in with each other like from page to page. When I make zines, I you know, maybe I have a couple hundred photos that I want to choose from. I'll I'll make little 4 by 6 prints mm-hmm. and I'll tack them up on the wall and just kind of stare at them and, and look for ones that go together and pairs and sometimes four and i'll leave them up there for a month or two and just keep keep looking at them moving them around until i find things that go together yeah they like complement each other yeah there's some that definitely play off of each other i'm just looking for something that's visually interesting i'm not celebrating the car specifically it's just Mm -hmm. the the oddness yeah which makes it even cooler i think (laughs) because it's not a it's not really like about the car it's about the scene in general Exactly. I mean, I don't know enough about the cars to go, that's that's an awesome car. That's really rare. That's, you know, mm-hmm. that's worth photographing because it's awesome and rare. It's 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 worth photographing because it's rusty and it's got like a, a weird paint job or it's got a, an odd covering on it. Or, yes. You know, or it's a Batmobile or something. Or it's a Batmobile <laughs> or it's, it's up on blocks with no wheels. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or just, it's just, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's the oddness. So, I mean, if you're not a car person, like what is it about cars that makes you photograph them? I, oh, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, people obviously love their cars and they put a lot of effort into them and they sometimes don't put any effort into them, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's a hard question. I'm not really sure other than just the whatever graphic qualities, you know, um, design qualities. In the intro to the zine, you're saying you've been uh, compiling and shooting these photos for over a decade. So yeah. why now? Like, why make the zine now? The only way to make me stop photographing these cars is to make a zine and then I can say it's done. <laughs> Okay. I, can, I cannot. I cannot do it anymore. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can relate to that actually. Yeah, it's, it's a full stop. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's the only way to uh, to cure my addiction. <laughs> this is actually the question we're going to be asking our listeners next episode. Are there any photo books that have been inspiring you lately? One is a book. It's a documentary photography book by a guy named Jim Mortram in England, and it's called Small Town Inertia. Okay. Mm. And it, it's a kind of a documentary photo project he's been doing for years on his community. And it's people struggling with addiction and mental health issues and poverty. The photographs in it alone are absolutely amazing, really amazing photographs. But then he also, uh, across from every photograph, there's a little quote or a piece of an interview he did with that person. And it re- that really brings it home. It's the most powerful mm. book I've seen in uh, years. Wow. One of the things I've been doing during lockdown is kind of sort of a dabbling with portraits, mm-hmm. mostly of my kids. I have an Arnold Newman book of his portrait work, which is amazing, environmental portraits and Mm-hmm. I've been stealing a lot of ideas from there. Uh, so that, that, my copy's here with uh, a whole bunch of post-it notes stuck in the pages. For, uh, <laughs> nice. No, that's great. <laughs> I love that. I'm normally not, I normally really hate talking about myself. You know, you've done a, uh, you're, you're a good interview as you've, you've dragged out. Yay. Oh, good. Good. We didn't make you cry though. We have to, we have to work uh, on yeah. that. Next time. Next time. We can try next time. All right. All right. Jaya, thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, yes. thank you. Thank you so much for everything and listening this whole time. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, now, I, <laughs> now you're oh, crying. He's going to make me cry. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> he did the old switcheroo on us. <laughs> All Bye. right. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. 
1958, photography was evolving into a hobby accessible to nearly everyone. Companies like Kodak and Minolta were cranking out easy-to-use rangefinders for beginners. Camera stores could hardly keep home developing kits and chemicals in stock. Everybody at least knew somebody who had a basement darkroom. And when things get popular, Hollywood takes notice. They wanted to make a TV show about a photographer, but all that anybody really wanted to watch was gritty noir like Naked City and Peter Gunn. It was action shows that clogged the airwaves with The Rifleman and Bat Masterson. In a fictional world ruled by private eyes, gangsters, and action heroes, what was a show about photographers supposed to do? Simple. Rip them off. (laughs) And that's exactly what 1958's Man with a Camera did. Man with a Camera. Man with a Camera was originally marketed as being based on the exploits of famed New York photographer Ouija. That copy soon changed, dropping the name drop to settle upon calling it a new adventure series based on the exploits of a freelance photographer. So yes, there really was a TV show about a photographer. But that's not even the surprising part. The real shock here is that it starred a young Charles Bronson. Now, Bronson would later go on to make what we could only describe as the apex of white exploitation revenge porn, Death Wish. Which somehow managed to crap out four sequels, but in 1958, he was basically just a character actor with a few roles in action movies and TV shows like Have Gun, Will Travel. So, by the time Man with a Camera was released, Bronson had been working as an actor for over a decade. The press, however, focused upon his upbringing in the Pennsylvania coal mines. In interviews he gave to promote the show, Bronson said things like, It takes a lot of guts to get out of the coal mines. Everybody down in the coal mines has an inferiority complex. It's the lowest point on the social scale, the dirtiest, hardest work, and we all know it. The press, however, focused on his looks. It's an ugly visage, wrote one critic. Deeply lined, beetle-browed, and with slanting, sinister eyes. He has a shock of unimaginable wire. Bronson himself admitted he wouldn't be winning any beauty contests. I'm not that ugly. I'm not as ugly as William Bendix. It's just that my face has character. My screen test, someone once said, made me look like I never had a mother. By the summer of 1958, still a few months from the premiere, ABC held screenings of their pilot episode. This did not go over well, as noted in the nationally syndicated TV keynotes column. I've seen the pilot film of a new series. It's called Man with a Camera and will be sponsored by GE's Photolamp division. A special luncheon was held to exhibit the film and for GE to announce how proud they are of presenting this show. Judging by the pilot film, the series is an offensive disgrace. I do not consider myself a do-gooder or a purist, but I do feel it's about time we stopped making crime glamorous on television. This program, which GE is proud to be associated with, features a small group of teenage hoodlums hiding an ex-con, but planning to take care of him as soon as they find out where he's hidden the loot. The boys are real tough. Their dialogue is a mess of street-jargon cliches, and when their dastardly plans are exposed, the only retribution shown is the boys walking into the arms of a couple of police just before the final fade-out. This trash is right in line with the current teenage gang wars and the new fad which calls for mobs to beat up officers trying to make an arrest. After all, it's only nature for youngsters to imitate their idols. Despite the criticism, the first episode aired on October 10th in the 9pm time slot, right between Flash Gordon and Ozzie and Harriet. The first episode to air, entitled Second Avenue Assassin, wasn't the pilot. That was bumped to episode 5. It throws you right into the story of Bronson's photographer character, Mike Kovac. We get zero backstory and hardly any character to develop. 
However, from the pilot, called Close Up on Violence, and from the press, we learned that Mike Kovac was a war photographer during the Korean War and is now a freelance photographer in New York City. I'm Mike Kovac, freelance photographer. Excitement is my business. I find it by poking, prying, and listening. When I find what I want, I record it with my camera. It's fun, money, and people. I don't know which I like best. All of the episodes are available on DVD for like eight bucks. Most of them are also on YouTube for free. And luckily for you, we've watched at least two of them. <laughs> well, I've watched a lot more than two. <laughs> I know. Eric watched, I think, basically all of the first season. I have watched two. <laughs> so first, we're going to wade through the pilot episode, uh, which even Bronson wasn't thrilled with. Admitting, well, I didn't like the plot. But don't knock the series because of that. The other scripts are much better. We got to get action in it. I'm not going to walk up to a mark and say some lines. I want movement. And so we're doing something a little bit different here. We're going to talk to each other. Not just read some stuff, but talk to each other about the pilot episode, Close Up on Violence. So the first episode was directed by William Castle, right before he directed his own horror movies. Castle was known for gimmicks, and if you're a fan of horror movies, you absolutely know who William Castle is. He did House on Haunted Hill, he did The Tingler, 13 Ghosts, Homicidal, Mr. Sardonicus, and it also guest stars Angie Dickinson. She played Frank Sinatra's wife in Ocean's Eleven, and was also in the incredibly problematic and questionable Dress to Kill. So overall, Vanya, what do you think of this? What do you think of the series? What do you think of the episode in general? What do you think of this? It is very much of the time. Robbers and just the whole thing is obviously a little bit silly. Just the whole idea of like the photographer standpoint of it. I'm sure actual real photographers were kind of like, oh my God, this is cheesy. But again, this is Hollywood. That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. So as a photographer, could you relate to Mike Kovac? <laughs> Not exactly. Um, <laughs> it was interesting to see him wield this like giant speed graphic and try to like be fast about it. And I really like that. This is the same plot described by the critic who didn't like it, the really uppity, nasally critic who didn't like it. <laughs> we start off with Mike getting a fire call. He's in his dark room. He is kind of an ambulance chaser. We kind of the impression we get from him. So he yeah. runs out to take pictures of this fire. So, I, I mean, basically, we're still doing that to this day. Sure. People have those <laughs> But he doesn't really... Radios. He doesn't take pictures of the fire. He doesn't. He is taking pictures of the people watching the fire. Yeah, which I think is an interesting touch. I don't know if that yeah. came from talking to a photographer about that, but I know a lot of photographers that do that. Hey, Mike. Fire's that away. Yeah, well, people are over this way. Besides, I've got my fire shots. Look at that old woman there. There's a whole book written in that face. Well, that kid is a non-property owner. He enjoys a good fire. And that girl. A picture of, like, a devastated woman is probably going to sell better than just, like, a building on fire. Yeah. So as he's taking pictures of the crowd, there's a gang, a, a youth gang. Yes. We have Rooster McConnell, Teabag. Yes, Teabag, yeah. Shivy Brewster. Oh, Shivy Brewster is my favorite. Ding Dong Fabrizi. Yeah, ding, ding Dong Fabrizi is my second favorite. Yeah, how could he not be? <laughs> So Rooster, Teabag, Shivy, and Ding Dong. <laughs> yes. Uh, they come up and they see the fire. So they see him take a picture of the girl that's with him. Hey, some joker just took her picture. 
If her picture makes the paper and Cagle spots it, we're stuck. So yes. they go and they steal his 4x5 speed graphic. But <laughs> yes, they do. somehow manage to not steal the film. Yeah, so I guess he pulled it. I mean, who knows? It, it, you're going to have to kind of just nod your head along for a lot of this. <laughs> At this point, it's revealed that the gang is hiding an ex-con and his daughter, and that, that woman who they didn't want to have the, the picture taken of, is his daughter for some reason. We don't know why yet. <laughs> I filed a report on the stolen camera, then rushed to my apartment. Speed is vital to a freelance photographer. The trick is to shoot the best possible pictures you can and get them developed, printed, and sold before the next guy beats you to it. We get back to his darkroom, his place. He's like, eh, you know, they took my camera, but I got my negative. That's the most important thing. So he went straight to work, got into the darkroom, had to print this negative of this woman, and printed it. And then he gets a knock at the door. Ooh, and who could it be but the gang? Now, like, don't get all shook up, man. We're not here to cause trouble. Oh, man, we're here to uncause it. So they get the address yeah. from his camera. And I think that maybe mm-hmm. it's a good reason to not put your address on your cameras. That was like super simple. They're like, oh, yeah, he lives right here. Yeah. Here's the address. Yeah. So they knock him out. And this happens a lot in the series. I've watched the, I don't know if I've bragged about this yet. I've watched the entire first season. Mike gets knocked out a lot. And it was the 50s. So all it really took to knock somebody out was a good punch in the face. Yeah. But before he got knocked out, he did actually say one of my favorite one-liners. Real tough bunch. You're tough like a coat of cheap paint. First bad stretch of weather comes along, it peels right off. Maybe you're the paint remover. You don't get your boy out of that dark room, we'll soon find out. As Mike is knocked out, the gang invades his dark room and steals the negative of this woman and the, the print of this room. They take nothing else. And so Mike wakes up. Nothing is disturbed in the house. So he looks around, goes back into the dark room, realizes... The negative and the print is gone. And so he goes to his dad's house. In his mind, he's like, okay, there's definitely a story here. They took this picture for a reason. No one wants this girl's face in the paper. And he's going to find out. So he's going to use the original camera, the human eye. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And he goes to his dad's house. And his dad is a, has like a portrait studio, right? Yeah, he's an old photographer too. So there's like a little bit of here. Here's some backstory here. Yeah, you know? and it's it's really neat. His dad is uh, played by Ludwig Stossel, and Ludwig Stossel, the actor, he fled Nazi Germany in 1933, and he fled to Austria and was imprisoned uh, in 1938 there by the Nazis. He escaped a couple of times and was recaptured a couple of times, and then he made it to his way to Paris and then to London and then to the United States and Hollywood. Uh, he stayed in Hollywood until his death in the 70s, I believe. He made a few anti-Nazi movies before continuing his incredibly long career. He was kind of in everything as a character actor. Yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, much better Mm -hmm. story than whatever's going on in Man with a Camera. (laughs) But it is a cool relationship to see. You know, it's like a father-son. You know, he's, he's going over there for some help. So he's going through a bunch of his father's portraits to piece together what she looked like because he's trying to remember yeah. with his human eye camera. <laughs> he's there's, a, there's this weird wheel thing that he puts over pictures and I don't get it. I don't, I, yeah. I'm very lost as to what the hell was happening. And then he, this portrait that he pieces together of this woman is <laughs> a horror show. It's terrifying. It is. It's. It seems like they just like cut some eyes out and put it on a portrait. No, that's exactly what they did, and it's 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 unnerving. It's really unnerving. So 
he takes this pieced together picture of this girl and they take it to the same neighborhood as the fire. And that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So we pick up in this neighborhood. He's got this picture. But here's the thing. He doesn't know this neighborhood. It's tight knit. There is a lot of gangsters that live there. So he has to be kind of like sly. So what he does is he runs up to a kid and takes his picture. And then the kid's like, whoa, like what's going on here? Like, why, why are you taking my picture? And... He goes on to kind of sweet talk him. <laughs> yeah, and the sweet talking doesn't work, but the gang sees all this go down and they didn't realize the sweet talking doesn't work. And so they kind of jump the guy. The, yes. Yeah, and it does, that doesn't really go anywhere. So anyway, it's revealed that the ex-con is named Marty Delgado and he's got a half million dollars somewhere that the gang wants to know where it is, right? And so they plan on killing him. And do they plan on killing the daughter too? That was kind of up in the air. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what was going on with that, but I do know that they were playing him a fool. <laughs> they, they were. And his daughter figured this out, but Marty doesn't believe it. They're like, oh, they're good kids. Or not good kids, but like good, bad kids. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, it, there's like a, a few things that go down, and Mike figures out where their hideout is in this, this tenement building, this old tenement building. And he climbs up the fire escape to get into it because it looks really cool when you see Charles Bronson climbing up a fire escape. Obviously. Yeah. Why go through the front door? I, oh, actually, there was someone guarding the stairs, too. So. Oh, I guess that's why. Okay, fine. <laughs> I should probably watch these things a little closer. So it was a walk-up. There was no elevator. But yeah, he took the fire. He did. Fire and then he gets up there. He finds the girl. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I want to help you. And then the girl is like, nah. And so then he <laughs> finds Marty. And Marty's like, no. But then the gang shows up to take Marty to get the money, right? Marty, they think Marty has this money hidden somewhere. But now we know, because Marty tells Mike that the money is is here in the building somewhere, right? Yes. Yeah. So so what happened was that he needed to hide out because there was someone out there trying to kill him. And these young kids were trying to, yeah, they were, tr these kids were actually like protecting him. But in the paper that day, it said that that guy was shot and killed. So there was, there was no, like, that was all a lie. So what happened was the kids knocked on the door and Marty's like, hey, yeah, I'll go with you guys, but can you guys go grab me a paper? Oh, right. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. And so they figured out that Marty figured it out. And now they're all wise guys. And mm -hmm. so what, everybody, what they don't know is that the money is in the building. That's the important part. Yes. But for some reason, he didn't tell the kids that he trusted, but he did end up telling it to Kovac right away that he actually had the money and he showed him exactly where it was. <laughs> he did. Mike, I mean, look, if anybody has a trusting face, it's Charles Bronson. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the gang is trying to break in. They're like a battering ram, trying to break into this room where Marty is, where the money is, where Mike is, and where the daughter is. So I'm sure she has a name. This is Angie Dickinson. Yes. But the gang <laughs> is not really interested in Angie. The gang isn't interested in the money. But they're in a bad neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. they they're are. They're just going to break in and murder everybody, and nobody in the neighborhood's apparently going to care. Yeah, so, or know about it. So Kovac comes up with a plan, oh my God. of course. Brilliant plan. <laughs> yes. Why not take that half million dollars and throw it out the window? Yeah, because give it to everybody yeah, in the neighborhood. This will, uh, it's a wonderful redistribution of wealth. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Also, it will attract a crowd, which will attract cops because crowds of poor people attract cops. It's just how cops I work. I guess so. Yeah. And then the gang can't kill Marty or the daughter. 
or yeah. Mike Kovac. So he'd have to get rid of his money, but he'll be able to have a new life with his daughter. In jail. Um, with no, yeah, with no crime, <laughs> okay. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't make a ton of sense. What's good money if you don't put it in circulation, huh? I always say if you're going to do something, do it big. He does. He starts throwing it out the window. Well, the gang breaks in right at that moment. And mm-hmm. Mike is on the ledge taking pictures of Marty throwing the money out. I mean, he, he hops up there like really like he's just he knows what's out on that ledge. He's been there. Yeah. So on the way up on the fire escape, do you think Mike orchestrated this entire plan to throw the money out so he could get a picture of Marty tossing money out the window while he's hanging from the ledge? He thinks like a true photographer, not that like, hey, I'm going to go down there and take some of that money too. No, he doesn't want to. Then I probably don't even have to Mm -hmm. take any more pictures ever again. I, but I'm going to get this shot. You know, so yeah, he ends up throwing the money into the neighborhood, and it's like a good old fashioned money grab. I love those. So the, uh, the, the freelance photographers have their moments. So the cops show up and yes. the gang hears the sirens and like, oh, we got to beat cheek. And then they run down the stairs and the cops arrest them. Why? I don't know. And I know that there's like, okay, how did they know that it was them? And there's, you know, that's, well, I mean, they're shady. They're running out for some reason, I guess. Yeah. It must be those darn kids. It's always the kids, right? Always the kids. So after all of this goes down, everybody has a good laugh, and the, the gang goes to jail, and I, I guess Marty is free, and the daughter is not dead, so everybody's happy, and Mike goes back to his dad's place. Because it's his dad, and he's a photographer, too. He needs to put his two cents in, right? Never enough light you use. Pictures are meant to be seen, you know. Okay, Pop, I'll work on it. Which I'm not sure if that's a good thing for GE or, you know, yeah, like, is that? I, I, yeah, it of... seems like a really strange thing to, to end with. <laughs> but, you know, it's the pilot. But, you know, what can you do? Here's one of the greatest little gadgets a camera fan can own. It's a battery test light to check your flash battery to make sure there's enough power to set off your flash bulb. Before you load film into your camera, put the battery test light in the reflector and click the shutter. That bright glow of light tells you your flash equipment's as dependable as your GE flash bulb. And it's yours free when you buy a dozen GE flash bulbs. After a few months of airing, a man with a camera found its audience and was a hit with the critics. Mike Kovac is a credible human being who engages the emotions, and most of the action in those shows of the series that I've watched generally springs from character. Bronson agreed. The producers were right in creating a hero named Kovac, who grew up in the Lower East Side and is only a generation removed from Europe. It somehow gives Kovac the capacity for great sensitivity to the lot of others. That, at least, is the way I feel and play Kovac. You get humanly involved with him. To see if that great sensitivity was really there, we watched another episode, the third to air named Profile of a Killer. Man with a camera. All right, this is episode three, season one, and he's going in taking pictures of very high bank executives in a very, very small yes, town. It doesn't, there's <laughs> no reason that this person is, that Mike is in this small town. He's like friends with the editor or the sheriff or I don't know. It This is like a hodgepodge of like background characters that end up, you don't know who's going to do what here. After they're taking a picture of the bank president, he wants to take a picture of the tellers doing their job. Yeah, wide angle. A wide, a wide angle picture. He didn't change the lens. No, he just said wide just angle. Just said wide angle. Because if you say wide angle, that's it's really all you need to do. So exactly. when he's taking this wide angle picture, a robbery happens. 
Yes, it looks like one of the guys from Daft Punk just like show up with a insane mask. <laughs> they do eventually start calling him the Crash Helmet Killer. Oh yes, yes. they do. <laughs> and, be- and Killer because he breaks in and the the bank president comes out there and it is like oh blah 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 and he gets shot down in front of Mike and Mike gets pictures of it. The interesting thing about this is the robber comes in and he's like all right everybody like you know this is a stick up like how they usually do oh, of it. Of course, that's how I do doesn't it. Doesn't notice Kovac with a giant camera lifting it up and taking pictures of him until the flash goes off. And for some reason doesn't kill Kovac right there on the spot. Yeah, doesn't care. Yeah, doesn't care. And maybe the reason he doesn't care is because the robber who was named Killeen kidnaps Mike. Yes. His camera. And makes him drive. Yes. And a car full of camera stuff. Now, Killeen has a sidekick, an old gangster named Danny Boy. Of course. So they get to an undisclosed location and they force Mike at gunpoint to develop and print the pictures of the robbery in the trunk of his car. Because he has a mobile darkroom, obviously. This is my portable darkroom. I built it for field trips. I can develop and print pictures wherever I am, day or night. There are vacuum bottles for keeping developing solutions at the right temperature, solution trays, printing paper, everything. I can bring these prints out into the sunlight in a few seconds. So essentially he can print, I guess they're contact prints is what he's doing. Yeah. You know, it's a small, it's a small little case. It's like a suit, you know, a trunk size. And he has a four by five camera. So I guess that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, he can do contact, contact prints contact pretty prints. easily and send those in to the, to the editor. See, this isn't just a van life or millennial thing. They were adding this to the plot in 1958 yeah. that you could have a mobile dark room in the back of your unbelievably badass station wagon, by the way. After he prints the picture, the robber's going to shoot him and kill him. And of course... Kovac is just like a genius and always knows how to get out of things somehow. Well, he wouldn't have a series if he didn't. He basically convinces the killer, just like how Thrifty's one-hour photo convince your mom that you're going to need more copies of this picture. Yeah. And then he convinces him that... You, you know what? I can make you famous. I'm going to take pictures of you robbing places and send them in. You'll be in all the papers. Yes. And the, the, the paper that in, is in question here is the one from the small town. And this is how Mike convinces him to let him do this, to keep him alive. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question is, Mike knows big city editors. We know this already. And he mm-hmm. probably knows people at AP. And he probably can send things over the wire. He's a freelance photographer. Why would he yes. need a small town editor? Why would he even bother asking a small town editor to do this i am not sure it makes no sense but meh. and so when mike is showing colleen these pictures colleen invites mike and he threatens to kill him but eventually ev- invites mike to accompany them on a week-long robbery spree that they're planning which will end at quote-unquote lone pine and this is where colleen's girl lives she's a college girl the next holdup happens, and probably the next and the next, and Mike's taking pictures for all of these, right? And yes. so after one of them, Mike develops the pictures and, sh- and makes the prints, and he tries on the sly to convince Danny Boy to help him overpower Colleen and get away. But Danny Boy, I guess Colleen is just so crazy that Danny Boy, this old grizzled gangster, is just afraid of him. <laughs> Which is insane, because this kid looks super young. So, oh my gosh. Col- Wait, we have to talk about the car. <laughs> yeah, I guess Colleen comes back with a new car. He does. Yes. So he gets rid of he ditches the station wagon because, you know, they're they're on the run. They are. So he brings in a new station wagon and I looked it up because I was like, okay, I know exactly what this is. I saw the emblem in the front. And it's a 1958 Edsel Bermuda. 
This was like the top of the line station wagon. And also I've been drooling all over it like ever since I was researching it. So yeah, he kind of like got, I mean, this was made in 1958. So this car was like yes, brand new. So I don't know how he got it, but he got it. <laughs> Killeen has a problem with Mike at this point. The pictures that yeah. he's submitting to the press, they're not, they're no good, right? The, the latest yeah. one you have is just of Danny Boy next to a sign. You call yourself a picture man? Look at this. What's the matter with it? What's the matter with it? I don't like Danny Boy's ugly mug spoiling a shot, that's what. And I don't want my face in no paper. Just simmer down, Dan. Yeah, and he's... Honestly, it's very reminiscent of an Instagram influencer. <laughs> like, he's getting really picky about the pictures. He's like, there's someone in my shot. <laughs> he is, yeah. But maybe Mike is up to something. And so we now cut to the editor... In the yes. in the editing room, it's a very small place, very small town. Three times now, Kovac has given me a clue with a badly composed picture. Make no mistake about it, Gilligan. Kovac's talking to us with his camera. Well, I don't know. You may be right. So we learn here that the editor is friends, or was friends, R.I.P., with the bank president. And he personally, I guess he's also like a constable or something. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make a ton of sense. He wants to hunt down Killeen. And he tries to convince the sheriff to give him a car. And the cop was like, nah, just be an editor. So towards the end of this spree, we cut back to Killeen wanting to kill Mike again. Again, of course. So he has to outsmart him again he and does. convince him that he needs to stick around. Kovac, you know you're a lousy photographer. You haven't once got me in profile. I think I ought to kill you right now. You do that and you'll never make the big time. What do you mean the big time? I'm famous. I'm on every newspaper. Well, you're not famous until you make the cover of a big magazine. And as we'll find out, this is Chekhov's magazine cover. And it's going to be a profile of him. And, my goodness, we now have the dumbest scene that I may have <laughs> ever seen in my life. <laughs> Mike gets Colleen to shoot facing up. He says, can you, can you shoot that pine cone off of that tree? And he takes this <laughs> picture, I guess, of Killeen shooting a pine cone. Aiming and shooting a pine cone, yes. <laughs> and in this picture, it's it's a picture of Colleen with his gun pointed up and there's a pine tree. Okay. Yeah, but it's Fine. a pine tree. Like I don't I couldn't even really tell if there was a pine cone in the tree. It just looks like he's aiming at a tree, like shooting a Look, tree. This is how good of a shot Colleen is. It is. So when the editor gets this shot, he immediately interprets it. Because remember, Mike is talking to them through his camera. These are messages. Well, it is a pine, isn't it? Sure enough, looks like a pine tree, but just one lone pine. Sure looks like he left most of Killeen out of it. And Killeen's a hot news item. This picture features a pine tree, just one lone pine. As far as that goes, here's a lone pine, but it ain't a town. Lone Pine Lodge up in Blue Valley Mountain. And so with that quickly cleared up, they leave for this Lone Pine Lodge because it's only an hour away. I mean, of course they would get Lone Pine Lodge out of that picture. How wouldn't you? Obviously. Of course. It, makes, it, just, it just makes sense. So we now get to the Lone Pine Lodge. Colleen, Danny Boy, and Mike show up. And we get to meet not just the college girl, but the college girl's father, who is immediately killed by Colleen. Basically. Yeah. And then Colleen's like so pissed because he's like, why are you crying? Look, Colleen, if you want to impress a girl, <laughs> don't murder her father, at least right away. It really, <laughs> exactly. it, God, a bad impression. So mm -hmm. like, we learned that Colleen had worked for them, and this is a very long 
game that Colleen is planning here. What Colleen really wants is Mike to take a picture of him and the college girl together. Now, Colleen didn't mm-hmm. think of this when he was trying to kill Mike, you know, a couple of days ago. But now that Mike's alive, hey, let's college girl. And the college girl, she's not really into having her picture taken at this point. You know, her father being just murdered. He kind of takes a turn here and decides, you know what? I don't want a picture with her. I think I'm just going to shoot her instead. Yeah, and he wants Mike to take a picture of that. He does. Yeah. He can't make up his mind what he wants. He'd be a complete terror at Olin Mills, let me tell you. So Mike, the genius that, I mean, when you, when you look at Charles Bronson, you automatically think, fucking genius. He just knows how to get out of situations. Oh, he's so good at this. He convinces Colleen to... Like it's Killeen. Killeen, not Colleen. Sorry, sorry, Karen. We're not talking about Colleen here. It's his Killeen, <laughs> which would be a great derby name if your name is Colleen. So there we yes. are. Anyway, so Mike convinces Killeen to take a picture of him, Killeen, killing Mike. Let the girl go and I'll take the greatest photo ever taken of you sending that little bullet right at me. The greatest shot in the country. A really famous guy. That's you. Your picture on a magazine cover, maybe gotta save the dame what good is a dame if you can't save her (laughs) exactly so she takes off and he's like let's give her a head start yeah that's a weird thing to say but okay yeah it was kind of weird it didn't seem that killian wanted to chase the girl down no it didn't he didn't have to say that at all but you know mike just wants some more he wants to get a good picture and maybe (laughs) oh i mean he is kind of trying to take his time with the situation he doesn't want to get shot right away (laughs) it is true So he's like, yeah, let's give her a little head start. Let me try to see how I'm going to get out of this situation. And how, okay. And how does he get out of this situation? No, like, how does he plan on getting out of this situation? He's dead at this point. There's zero reason (laughs) Killeen isn't killing him. Yeah, you're right. There's a, the accomplice goes out to see where she's at. And then Gilligan comes up and starts shooting. Also- Who's Gilligan? Gilligan's the constable. So the constable shows up, not the editor. Wasn't he both? Yeah, he was. The editor shows up. You know what? Honestly, also Gilligan, like that's the only time I've ever heard that name is like in shows. Is there anybody out there that's named Gilligan? I think it's a last name. So yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe Gil, but Gilbert? No, I think it's a last name. I don't know. So they just call him by their last name. I mean, you have your choice between Gilligan and Little Buddy. So what would you go with? Fucking Gilligan, obviously. Exactly. So I think it's the editor who shows up. It is kind of dark. Through all of this. So he starts to shoot, and then there's a shootout that ensues. So somehow, in all this mess, Kovac is able to escape. Well, he escapes, and he finds the editor. So this is where it gets good. Oh, this is where it gets amazing. <laughs> so I don't quite get the sequence here. Killeen is firing at the editor, and the editor is firing back. But the editor yes. says something like, I can't see. And I only have one shell left. Yes. And so Mike says, well, I can just light up the scene with my flash. Yes. And you can see where Killeen is and kill him from that. Take your last shot after I fire my flash. Yeah. So boom, incorporating photography flash to murdering a robber. Well, it just it just makes sense because he's paying it forward. <laughs> yes, he is. The editor showing up saved his life. So now he is going to show up. For the editor. Exactly. This is how we should all be operating. The shootout happens, and the editor kills Killeen. And Mike goes over and takes a picture of Killeen. In profile. And that's it. The magazine cover is Killeen lying dead, and end. That's it. That's how it ends. So these are like 20, 25 minutes. They're actually pretty fun. I definitely would say, like, just, I mean, hey, you're on YouTube watching, like, Dr. Pimple Popper. Just... 
just change it and do something else for a while. There's a couple in particular that I really, really liked. Which ones did you really, really like? I really liked Six Faces of Satan. That sounds like a epic death metal band, by the way. Six Faces of Satan and Double Negative were both my, my favorites, probably. After the show was on air for a few months, Charles Bronson began to give combative interviews. The reporters seemed to egg him on. One interviewer called him out for being too soft. That's what you think. Playing a photographer is harder than being one. When I take a picture, I have to do it while I'm doing dialogue, while the movie camera is on me, and I have to have it all timed. I have to make the camera adjustments all in split seconds. He also took criticism from photographers. No real photographer flips his camera around like you do or flicks the used flashbulbs out of the gun and catches them in midair. It's eye-catching and dramatic, but it just ain't the way a real photographer works. No, it isn't. But I'll bet the press boys I've seen working around the set would be better photographers if they try to use a camera like I do. Making it an automatic operation and saving the reflex actions for the next shot instead of fussing over camera settings for the picture they're trying to shoot now. Bronson claimed to learn the automatic reflex action thing from when he was a tail gunner in World War II. And he wasn't through. You're right. I'm no photographer, but I'm learning. And I'll bet that if I had to make a living as a photographer instead of an actor, I'd use all the gunslinging tricks with the camera that I use on the show. And I wouldn't be surprised if I won a Pulitzer Prize from a picture that the other real pros had missed because they were worrying about which film holder was which. <laughs> Each episode... <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. Such a dick. Each episode of Man with a Camera featured some new and somewhat interesting photography technique. The uh, episode Double Negative, which was the sixth episode, you see this really awesome scene of retouching photos with paint. It's Mm -hmm. really kind of cool. And episode nine, called Two Strings of Pearls, he uses a twin lens reflex camera. He does it in a few other episodes as well. Well, in your favorite episode? My my favorite episode, Six Faces of Satan. Nothing really new, photographically speaking, but a young Harry Dean Stanton is in it. And fucking show stealer. Uh, In episode 12, The Last Portrait, one of the criminals hides a pistol in a Graflex to kill an Arab leader. And once you fire the shutter of the Graflex, a bullet comes out of the lens and kills somebody. And I I don't know why, (laughs) but that happened. In the episode called Mute Evidence, which is episode 14, he uses the portable darkroom again. You can really see how he makes contact prints. And it's very obvious he's making contact prints from that episode. Okay. And in the last episode of the season called The Big Squeeze, he uses a telephoto lens with a pistol grip. And it is... Having handled one of these, a Zenit was the one I handled, it is badass. You look (laughs) badass when handling one of those. There would be a second season the following year. We haven't seen this yet, though most critics were a little down on it as Mike Kovac turned more into a private eye than a photographer. Still, there's probably some good stuff there. Maybe we'll revisit it in the future. We'll see. Until then, maybe check out... Man with a camera. We had a bit of a zine-based dry spell, and that's definitely over now. So most of the zines that we review here were sent to us for that purpose, to, to review, but this one is different. I found this photographer from the Women With Film Wednesday hashtag. She goes by M.M. Brady and is at Meg on Film on Instagram. She has three zines available in a bundle for $30 US, and that's what I picked up. So her first zine that she did is called Bubblegum, and it's an 8.5 by 11 newsprint paper, kind of like a newspaper that unfolds into a 23-inch by 34-inch poster. It explores the frequency and frivolity of the color pink in everyday life, which 
I don't know if that sounds silly, but it's really not. This is really wonderful. And as far as the design goes, Vanya and I have talked about doing something like this, like a fold-out poster thing for a long mm-hmm. time now, but we just couldn't figure out how to do it. Yeah, you did the Have You Seen Me zine was kind of kind of that. The You Can See Last Night from here, that one. Oh, my God. Yeah, you, I'm thinking of a Goar song right now. Neither of us had really considered newsprint. Actually, I never considered newsprint at all for photography zines. But seeing this, I may be reconsidering that. That's a great idea. Yeah, how's the paper feel? It, it feels like newspaper, but the pictures look really good in it. I'm really thrilled like with how it turned out. So each page, it, it unfolds, and there's new photos on each page until it's unfolded. And the poster is uh, this huge photo of, of hay bales wrapped in pink plastic. Fucking A. So the second is a more traditional zine <laughs> called Diane, which is both her and her mother's middle name. She grew up in Seattle, which is kind of a rare thing. Seattle's a lot of, a lot of new people here. And so growing up here is, is rare. And her photos of the city, they kind of help her feel grounded. These are scenes that of, a, of a very lived-in city. They, she ignores the tourist spots. And her work in Diane is, is really residential and in like a good way, you know? It's 24 pages of color, and it's roughly a half-size zine. I think it's eight and a half or eight by five and a half or something like that. But her most recent is called Only Diamonds Now Remain. And she, for this, she dips back into newsprint. And with photos and with text, she takes us on this tour of her time in Spokane can during the summer of 2003. I love this zine too. It's really, really fun. All three zines are <laughs> lovingly designed and they're very different from each other and they're very different from what we're used to. The printing service Mixam has kind of really, it's cheap and it's wonderful and it's really captured the film photography community and myself very much included. But it is nice to see somebody who's not doing that and who's making zines that don't look like other film photography zines. It's refreshing and we really need much more of this. So you can pick her mm-hmm. stuff up through contacting her or through mmbrady.com. And Vanya, you've got a book for us. I do. It's Two Rivers by Matt Williams. <sighs> Matt made a freaking book, you guys. <laughs> this thing is a actual book. And uh, let, let, well, let me just start with the camera choices. So uh, he used a Mamiya RB67. Yes, so, awesome. Cool, check. Uh, Canon AE1 and his grandfather's mini crown graphic. And I have every single one of these cameras, which is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> He shot and developed most of all the pictures at home, and he used Tri-X 400. So I really actually, because I am all over the place with film, and I think it's just because like I'm still exploring what I love and experimenting with different types of film emulsions. But when it comes to something like this, like he, it's a book. So it the book is a square format. Uh, it has a beautiful textured cover with a hand painted detail. It's done so well. I can tell that he poured his heart and soul into his writing. His photographs speak much louder. They are so expressive and unique. I love that he went big. I think it really shows the details of the images. I really love the soft focus motion images. There is this one spread of a woman standing on a horse that's running. (laughs) Okay, okay. It's incredible and quite possibly like one of my favorite spreads in the book. 
But the interesting thing is I've noticed, you know, I've had I've had this book on my desk for the past couple weeks, and I open it up and kind of look through it and read the he has a great essay from someone who describes the book in the back, I feel like I I miss a page and I'll go back to it and realize, oh my god, this is like amazing. <laughs> so I keep finding new favorites. It's absolutely stunning. It's mm. beautiful work. He decided to do this project. He uh, went from coast to coast in Canada, did a full-on road trip and shot these images during the summer of 2018. And he was kind of set out to recreate his own dreams. These are like a exploration of his dream state. And it's it's just really fun. It's very unique. I feel honored that I was able to get a copy of this book. Mm-hmm. It's just something different. I haven't really seen anything like this. Okay. Um, so it makes me really, I, I don't know, I'm just so happy to have it. And he definitely has copies still. It, it is in Canada, so it's probably going to be a little bit on shipping, but I would definitely check it out. And where can people go to see this? Well, his Instagram is at K-O-Y dot O-T-E and mattgwilliams.com is where his book is it's two rivers so thank you so much matt for the book it's absolutely wonderful i will definitely take a couple pictures of of it and show it on the show notes because you guys gotta see it so nice If you'd like to support our podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash lens. We've got bonus episodes, full-length interviews, and a growing number of things. Uh, most recently, we recorded a sort of a dev party, uh, except instead of <laughs> developing film, we were baking a cake. Yes. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, we really do appreciate the support for, from everybody who supports us on Patreon and we just we really appreciate anybody who's listening. That's wonderful, and thank you for either. So we have one new patron this week, uh, Garen Kiesel. So thank you so much. We yeah. oh my god, we really appreciate it. And our featured patron for this episode, yes, is Dan Tree. Ooh, Ooh, I know him. Yeah, Dan Tree photo <laughs> on Instagram. I feel like I have followed him basically since I've been on Instagram. Really? Okay. I don't know. It seems like it's been a it long does, time. Yeah. Definitely check him out. He is wonderful. He has some great portraits of black and white and color work. A lot of beautiful film. Definitely worth a follow. Dan, thank you so much for being part of All Through a Lens. We are forever grateful for it. And keep shooting. And that's about all the podcasts we've got for you today. But before we leave, we'd like to remind you about the question for our next yes. uh, episode. And while zines may be a wonderful and perfect inspiration, uh, uh, my favorite above and beyond everything, photo books are also there. They also exist. Photo books exist. So which photo books have you have been inspirational to you lately? What do you what do you yeah. I guess reading isn't the right word, but what are you looking at? Photo book wise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go to old thrift stores and find old photo books. Great. Half price books is great yes. for that too. 
so wonderful. Yep. If you follow Denise on IG, a lot of her stories are library books she picks up. I always love seeing oh, one of my cool. favorite things. You know, when she posts a story and it's library books, it's like, oh, it's library day. And she'll often check out photo books from the library. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. Well, hopefully Denise will call in then and maybe some other women as well. Yes. And we noticed that there's, of course, we encourage anybody to call in and answer the question. But if you are female, we would like to hear from you as well. <laughs> Please don't let me be the only one, you guys. If you want to call in and tell us all about your felonies, you know, we can't stop you. Yeah, exactly. This was good. (laughs) And by call in, of course, we mean leave us a voice message on Instagram, in the DM. Instagram DMs. If you don't have Instagram and have zero other options, email is a choice. However, that said, leave them on Instagram. So uh, that's about it. Vanya, do you have anything else? Yes. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast.gmail. <laughs> and we're all through a lens on Twitter. Vanya is at surfmartian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. And speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag yourself, hashtag allthroughalenspodcast to be featured. We also do a Spotify playlist for each episode, so check those out and see what we're listening to. Just search all through a lens. Also, you can find our episodes on Spotify, as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find your podcasts. Subscribe to us and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so, 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 so much for listening. We love you, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Vanya... Yes. Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. Let's go. What's he doing here? Damn, he's taking pictures. Go take him someplace else. I told you to get lost. Well, maybe you didn't tell me loud enough. Well, maybe you can hear this wise guy. You better not miss the first time. Hey. It's none of your business. Taking pictures is my business. (laughs) (laughs) Death wish. Death wish.